Hello guys. Hi, my name is Morley. I'm a compulsive overeater. And just to qualify before I get into my piece of literature, I've been in this program since July 2nd, 1982. And uh, I'm maintaining around a 75 pound weight loss, give or take a few pounds. I weigh myself as little as possible. And um, I find as soon as I weigh myself, I started having machinations about whether I should eat more because my weight's down or eat less because my weight is up and you know all the craziness never stops. So, um, so that's my basic my basic share as to who I am. I've now been living in program longer than I was without program. I'll just share one thing that I have five years, around five years right now and um, I had a number of years before but I lost it by eating a fourth meal one day in a fellowship meeting. And a fellowship with other other COs, I ate a fourth meal and I couldn't I couldn't accept that, so I started my time again. And anyway, the literature I've chosen to talk about comes from our beloved demise Lifeline. I've been reading Lifeline with my sponsor for at least 12 years together, and I've got a whole whole bunch of them in the back. And this is from the November December 20, 2020 issue, and. Um, and so the name of the media, the name of the uh, piece of literature is called Abstainers and Maintainers. And I just, I, we, we, I read this originally on November 16th, and then I read it again on February 18th and realized this is what I wanted to share on, because it's really kind of neat. It's organized, and I can really share myself through it. So I'm going to start it right now. Abstainers and Maintainers. I've been thinking that a list of the common characteristics among long-time abstainers and maintainers and overeaters anonymous might be very revealing and helpful. In my mind, I picture all these members attributing everything on the list below to working the program, the 12 steps and 12 traditions into their daily lives. Okay, so there are different characteristics of people who have long-term abstinence, and I identify with some and I don't with others, so I'm just going to go through them. They have a healthy, conscious relationship with a loving higher power greater than themselves, and they maintain that relationship on a daily basis. It has been a very great struggle for me to find a higher power. For a long time, it was the group itself. It was Overeaters Anonymous itself, and I had, I had depended on the group, my sponsors and the fellows, for a long time. There was some time into 20 years in program that I heard someone say, if you're doing it alone, you're not doing it. And that struck me very forcefully. Up until then, I didn't have any friendships within the program, and I had very little fellowship, and I had a hard time staying abstinent. There was a time in my program life, probably around 10 years in also, that I just left OA for a few months, because I, I thought I was one of those people who just couldn't get it. But I found uh, that it just made everything worse. I belonged to multiple programs, and the minute I left going to meetings, my life just got very, very, very unmanageable, and my disease took over, and I realized as much as I think I should be living a certain way or being absent in a certain way uh, and be discouraged if I'm not, just being here allows me to grow, work the steps, have a sponsor, constantly be in a process of self-growth. And so right now I do have a felt experience of a higher power. I pray on my knees. And when that fails me at times, I really depend on the fellowship. I call more people, go to more meetings. I externalize my higher power. But I do have an internal sense also. But that took me a long time to find. They like themselves, at least most of the time. Well, that's a really important quality that's been very hard for me to find. Um, I, I, I didn't like myself. I didn't love myself. And I think that loving oneself is actually the core of recovery. For me, it's been the core of recovery. 
And the, the love of oneself actually allows me to tolerate and accept a lot of the things that I find, you know, that I'm inadequate in. And allowing, allowing myself to love myself, you know, kind of gives me freedom and a relief from all the self-criticism and the self-embroilment. Okay. They don't diet. I diet. I've been in a program a long time ago after periods of uh, what I call weight loss abstinence. And it just eventually gets me in trouble. And so I have a food plan now. I'll go over it a little later on the list. But it's not a mental, it's no longer a diet. It's a way of life. They don't weigh themselves every day. I went through a period where I was weighing once a month as long as well as checking my blood sugar and doing a lung test, part of a kind of a, what I call my biometrics. But I found that didn't work for me. I had to stop weighing myself. Because like I, I shared just a little while ago, the minute I started weighing myself and my weight was down, I started eating too much. It was, if my weight was up, I started you know, kind of restricting. I have both sides of this illness. I've been as low as 155 pounds which is very skinny. I've lost all the, all the, you know, the fat in my liver. I go into these blind rages from having, not from having no, no, from a, a hypoglycemic rage, it's called, because I had such a rigid food plan. And I, because from weighing myself and trying to control my weight, they don't judge themselves for the mistakes they make with food or for their body weight because they know that they're health issues, not moral issues. And the self-judgment is, was part of my life of judging others and myself I really believe that we are just another person in our, in our own attention. You know, I see myself more often because I, I am with me more often. But when I see you in person or on Zoom, you're part of my attention. I have you in my attention. And I'm my, I, I treat myself the same way I treat you. If I'm judging you for your food struggles, if I'm judging you for your moral lapses, what I perceive, it's a way of keeping, um, keeping people away from me. I learned that in my very first, my, my, my second big inventory. I did a fourth step inventory really early in my program. It was mostly just my therapy issues. But my fourth, my second fourth step, it took 12 hours to give away for a fifth step. And one of the big takeaways is how much I keep people at distance by judgment. And so if I'm judging myself for my lapses or for, you know, for my weaknesses or strengths, that means I am not, I'm not loving myself. I'm not close. I'm not intimate with myself. That's not moral issues. Uh, I really believe that it's a matter of skill. I'm trying to take judgment of moral values out of my vocabulary, out of my way of thinking. Something is skillful because it enhances my life, or it's unskillful because it has a, has a negative impact on my life. So there's nothing that can't be seen as either skillful or unskillful. And that takes an awful lot of uh, burden off me. Okay? They have some kind of structure for their food. I do have a structure. I have three meals a day. And if I go more than six hours between the meals, I can have a snack. Usually it's a protein snack. It'll be a hard-boiled egg or a couple ounces of cheese, whatever. Uh, I allow myself because my goal is to be comfortable and not to have to um, not have to be too embroiled with thinking about my food all the time. I don't want to replace one kind of obsession with another obsession. So I do allow myself a snack as part of a structure. Um, some kind of plan is what, when, and where, and how they eat. And I do have that. That's uh, over time. It's become more, more gentle. It's become more gentle and less, uh, less rigorous in a sense. But it works for me. My weight's been maintained for a long time. Also, as a pre-diabetic, my mother, sister, cousin all have very full-blown diabetes. I'm the only one who's got my my A1C is 5.6. If you know what that means, I want my blood sugar to be as even as possible. I don't want it to be going up and down severely. 
So I have my little snacks. They have never, they, they never have to reward themselves with food because it has never been deprivation for them. It's free, about freely choosing what they eat. So uh, I have a pre-meal. I'll share with you a pre-meal meditation I do. Oops. <laughs> and I say this pre-meal meditation before I start preparing the meal because that's part of my meal. Preparing is part of it. It says, whatever food I use for this meal will not be used for intoxication, but simply for the survival and continuous this body, for ending its afflictions. Thus, I will destroy feelings of hunger without creating feelings of overeating. And with that, I'm allowed to have, I'm allowed to enjoy my food and relax around it. They remain willing to go to any length to maintain the recovery. Now, that's a really important one. Because that was from the very beginning, I knew they had to go to any length. And for me, that means a couple things. One, I'm willing to work my program as rigorously as I need to. That means daily meetings if I need to. So I work three programs, and so when I really need to, I'll put emphasis on one program or the other. And that means going to any lengths is, means I'm willing to give, give more service and, and, and pray more and do more time on the meditation. So for me, going to any lengths is working the program as deeply as I can. Giving, I'm sponsoring five people right now. The other part of going to any lengths is cleaning up my cleaning up my act, cleaning up my side of the street in relationships, cleaning up relationships, going to any length to keep my relationships healthy. Because if there's nothing that causes me more suffering, it's relationships. When you think about it, it isn't the weather, it isn't the government. What really causes me pain and suffering is people, other people, and and the pain that I it comes from having you know, unhappy relationships. So I tend relationships, go to any length to keep that healthy. That's 10 minutes. Wow. Wow, that was fast. Here's one. They have learned to take themselves and disease very seriously, but not themselves. Take, take the disease very seriously, not themselves. Yeah. The five, five ego strengths, according to Freud, one of them is humor. And uh, i got to be able to laugh at myself and my foibles, or else I get too bogged down in self-importance. And, you know, uh, one of the things I learned a long time – oh, here's one that's really important. They learn how to be gentle with themselves – so they're able to be gentle with others a good deal of the time. I spent a month once on a hillside in Maui doing a structured meditation retreat, and it was all based on loving kindness. And for a whole month, every minute of the day I was waking, showering, you know, in personal moments of self-care, I was saying kindness, loving kindness things towards me and other people. After the entire month, it was very euphoric, actually. It brought a great sense of well-being and happiness to do this for an entire month, every minute from waking to going to sleep. I realized when the retreat was over is how harsh I am inside. My language towards myself is really harsh and very, very, very kind of mean, mean-spirited. I got that from my parents, of course. And uh, it's been a practice of mine since that will pay attention when I hear that harsh inner voice is to relax it and be gentle with myself. And that's part of my morning prayer to ask my, ask my higher power to help me be gentle with myself. Um, they have a positive outlook on life and are not consumed by fear and negativity. I was a fear-based person consumed by negativity and fear. It's hard to see it when that's all you know. You know, I am a registered nurse. I've got a career, you know, of idealism and altruism, but I was a bad guy to work with. I was very, very abusive and very, very hurtful to people that I worked with. And it's because I was so afraid and so full of negativity. And my first amends were like three years before program when my boss told me if, she, if I didn't go around, listen to people and apologize, she was going to fire me. And I had to do that. 
long before program. Okay? So their life is having a purpose. Oh, here's another one. They are, to a large extent, honest with themselves and others. The big book says honesty is the only real requirement for, for, you know, for recovery. We can't grow unless we're honest. And this has been the crucial fault line in my recovery, the big deficit in my recovery, or the unskillable behavior. I'm very easy to rationalize things, very easy to, you know, to pretend. And I lie to my sponsor. I've lied to my sponsor. And it's been a while, but not. I used to all the time. So that's really the important thing, and I pray for a willingness to be truthful and honest all the time, and it's very uncomfortable sometimes. And that also means not hiding between uh, avoidance of, conf- of confrontation. <clears throat> Let's see, multiple meetings per week. I go to three meetings. I go to f- four or five meetings a week now between three programs. And right now, my my emphasis is on OA, and because uh, I have to be constantly working all three programs. They can give back whatever they can, what was so freely given to them. I've been on the board, and also I sponsor five people now. But it's more than that. It's being kind to newcomers, being interested in newcomers, being welcoming to newcomers, and fellows, 12-step within kind of work. And trying One more to, minute. One more minute. Okay, let's see. Let's, let's find one more really good one, and then we'll finish the article. Here's the really good one. This is the last one on the list. They hold no reservation in the backs of their minds that someday they will return to eating like a normal person. This has been one of the hardest parts for me, especially if you're a rationalizer like I am. Step one, whenever I find myself getting into real trouble, it's because somewhere inside I'm pretending it's not really a problem. This is it, step one. This is step one. And if I have trouble, it's because step one is still rocky. The foundation of my recovery rests on step one. And if I'm, if I'm pretending step one isn't really what it isn't say what it means, mean what it says, then I'm going to get in trouble. They are attentive and welcoming to newcomers. I am a long-timer myself, 38 years, and I entered away in, in December, no, in July 2nd, 1982, at, oh, almost 200 pounds. Is that it? That's it. Yes, that's, that's all you got to hear from me. Thank you very much for listening. That's it. Thank you.